You're listening to the Rugby Coaches Corner Podcast with your host, Andy Plymer. For someone to explain. Bringing you up-to-date coaching concepts from the world of rugby. Sharing ideas to make the game better. Hi everyone, thanks for joining uh, for episode 28. Uh, before we start with the show, I just wanted to say a few thank yous to some people who have gone on to iTunes and uh, given the show a rating. I really appreciate that because it, it makes the show easier for people to find when they when they search for podcasts on iTunes. So so thanks massively for the people who went out of their way to do that. Uh, from the US, uh, Rugby Steve 2, Richmond Rugby, and Chris Kovac. Uh, Chris is an Aussie, uh, I believe, who's in the US. So thanks a lot to those people for, for signing in and uh, doing a review. Uh, from the UK, I uh, got a nice review from uh, Fat Fud. Pretty sure that's not his real name, but thanks a lot anyhow, Fat Fud. Uh, and then from Canada, there's uh, Lieutenant Demo, and then uh, Stewball the Racehorse Mofo uh, gave me a really nice review for the show. So, so thanks a lot to those uh, listeners. And uh, yeah, if you if you have the time, like I said, it, it really elevates the show in uh, iTunes searches. Uh, if you can come on and and give a review, give an honest review, um, that'd be greatly appreciated. And secondly, um, releasing this episode during National Coaches Week here in Canada. It's an initiative set up by the Coaching Association of Canada. Uh, just an initiative to say thanks to all the coaches out there, no matter what sport they're in, uh, for, for the work they do, most majority of it being volunteer. So I just want to use this opportunity to give a shout out to all coaches out there coaching rugby, uh, passing on this beautiful game that we all love. No matter what country you're listening in, I uh, just really want to say thanks for uh, downloading the show, listening to it, giving me any feedback, or get a bunch of emails and uh yeah and just really appreciate people listening to the show and 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 i just hope it can uh, provide a resource for you uh to pass on to your players so without further ado let's get into episode number 28 with dr kelly starrett i'm your host andy Plymer, and joining me today is dr kelly starrett dr starrett is the author of the new york times bestseller becoming a supple leopard uh, which has revolutionized how coaches, athletes, and everyday humans approach movement and athletic performance. He's the co-founder of uh, San Francisco CrossFit and the website mobilitywod.com, where he shares his in- innovative approach to movement mechanics and mobility. Uh, he travels around the world teaching his widely popular movement and mobility course and works with elite athletes from the NFL, NBA, NHL, and a bunch of other sports. Uh, he's also worked with a number of professional rugby clubs and players, uh, including the Harlequins. Uh, he believes that every human being should know how to move and be able to perform basic maintenance on themselves, and it's a pleasure to have you on the show, Kelly. So welcome. Oh, thanks very much, man. Yeah, no worries. Um, so yeah, quite a quite an extensive bio there. What's uh, what got you into into kind of the, the field of mobility, and uh, it's probably a strength and conditioning pathway initially. Yeah, well, you know, when we're talking about, um, you know, I've been at been at coaching you know, courses and, and in groups of like stud coaches, Olympic lifting coaches, speed coaches, powerlifting coaches, you know, and to choose to choose the stretching guy. It's not I mean, <laughs> yeah. really, you know, let's, let's be honest. What we ultimately ended up doing is taking the word mobility and uh, use it as a surrogate for stretching. It's yeah. really you know, where we've gone, but what we've been, what really is the heart and soul. And the reason I'm in the right place is we're talking about positional competency. And what we don't realize is how much force we're leaving on the table, how much, how many, because we don't have access for whatever reason to our full range of motion and basic, 
you know, full capacities. And some of it is because we're under heavy loads and we've been running into each other for a long time and didn't know that it was important. You know, then because we are, are really such excellent compensators, we end up creating a lot of extra work for the body to manage. You know, one of our wheels on the front of the car is turned out a little bit and, you know, you can still drive 100 miles an hour, but you can create some speed wobbles and wear out a tire. And, and what we've really seen is, you know, we had, we were having conversations with really good athletes whom you could not outwork anymore. Yeah. You know, I mean, the, the work thresholds are, are very, very high these days for right. our athletes. And, um, and the turnaround and what we're expecting around conditioning and strength and play, I mean, really, really high demands. And then if we, if we, we also saw that our athletes were able to work really hard, but didn't have fundamental understanding, you know, they were, they were folding into, folding themselves into shapes under the bar, into the scrum, you know, the same thing would happen. And then, you know, wonder why we had spondy or why we ended up with a little back pain or a little back pump out and not being able to connect the dots between how we were practicing, you know, in the gym, the reinforcements and carrying those deficient motor patterns into the pitch. Mm. And subsequently, what we saw was that there's a whole bunch of, you know, silly things that we could take off the table and make athletes more robust and get more work out of them. And, and that's how we, you know, sort of stumbled into this, you know, um, you know, uh, Rugby, I'll just come out and say it, it's just gorgeous sport. It's gorgeous, right? <laughs> Absolutely. And it really is. And uh, fun to see women's rugby. Um, you know, I went to school at CU in Boulder, Colorado, and we had a pretty good club team at the time, just yeah. a little university club team. But it was all really good athletes, you know, who maybe didn't want to play college football, American football. And, you know, what we, we, we have a lot of conversations around our gym and our coaching crew about – who maybe is the best all-around athlete? And it turns out like rugby always pops up to the top. Our general manager of our of our business of, of our gym, you know, is a big rugby fan, one of our physios rugby fan. We really feel like, you know, the ability to run and cut and tackle and throw, and these are these are like some of the fundamental building blocks of human movement, which means that it's really ripe to be able to see what's going on. Yeah. And what we've done in the past is said, as long as you're brutally strong and you can run all day, you're going to be good enough, right? And, and the solutions were, let's run more, let's get brutally stronger. And suddenly we're realizing, hey, you know, what, what is it about a guy like Jared Haynes that makes him such an extraordinary, you know, athlete? And yeah. then how do, we, how do we reproduce that? How do we get more out of our athletes in the long haul? And, uh, and I think that's what's really interesting about – this game and this sport, you know, we're going to have contact injuries. That's, you know, it actually is a collision sport, yeah, for not, sure. a, you know, not a contact sport, but the other things we can just take off the table and we should. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. I think, uh, I think um, the, the world cup just gone, there was a big piece of conversation about how many injuries were occurring out of contact. Uh, and that, you know, really that some people think that's inexcusable that, that that's, that's you, you trace that back and something's gone really wrong for that athlete for, them to have a non-contact injury. Well, you know, we're, we're not fully, you know, I see uh, rugby is definitely not the only sport that has non-contact injuries. And it's a complicated problem, mm. um, you know, and, and it doesn't mean that it's, we can't improve the, the ecosystem. You know, we have to look at, you know, what positions are our athletes spending most of their time in? If they're all sitting down all day long and then we expect them to extend their hip and cut, you know, you're going to get what you get, you know, mm. and if, if athletes have been being tackled and are squatting heavy and their quads are stiff and they don't have any hip extension, 
do you think is going to happen when they turn and cut with the foot turned out? You know, and if you know they're they're driving into scrum and feet aren't straight and they're turned out like ducks and the arch collapses and the knee becomes valgus and that Achilles pulls off axis. I mean, what did you think was going to happen? You know, and I, I think the problem is we have confused the fact sometimes that because the body is a very robust system, mm. we haven't been clear about sort of defining technique around good mechanics of the body. We teach a lot of technique in rugby. I mean, go to a rugby practice if you've never been to one and watch how many drills you do about tossing and catching and, you know, and, and, you know, and like it's so many drills. You don't just turn guys loose to play ball, right? No. And, and, you know, one of the things around that then is, well, why aren't we taking positional competency and making that a skill? Running is a skill, you know? Yeah. Um, You know, being able to put your arms over your head, a skill, being able to, you know, sequence your spine so you end up in a good spinal position when you tackle skill mm. you know and, and uh you know we had um it's amazing you know we had a ca- couple captains from the women's usa rugby team train with us for a while they were they were in, they were around in san francisco and, and those girls were just i mean no one could outwork them right but what they really appreciated was that hey the conversation gets to evolve beyond let's work harder to hey this is a position where you're not competent and fortunately the, the, the language of modern strength conditioning is the language of, of hip hinging, of throwing and catching, of like, you know, tackling with your head up is AKA front squatting. Yeah. You know, and, and, and so we can move beyond, hey, you made the pass to, hey, that was a crap throw, right? Or, hey, you squatted the weight up and down to, yeah, you squatted the weight up and down, but your back reversed, your knees came in, your arches were collapsed, you know what I mean? And we can start to use the strength and conditioning piece <clears throat> as the as the decoder ring to be able to understand at slow speeds and very controlled environments what's happening at high speeds and high environments. Okay, all right. So, so what on, on your website you talk about um, you know providing the tools to perform basic maintenance on 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 yourself essentially. What what, what are some of those things that you do? What, what if someone's at home? What can they do individually? Um, and what some of the well, basic equipment. I know. Yeah. You know, I, I think one of the things that we've done is we said, hey, look, as long as, you know, you're getting your sleep and you're eating not like a jerk, you're eating like a decent human being, <laughs> and, uh, you know, you're training really hard, your excuse. Yeah. Right? Yeah. And, and you just hope that, you know, coach's warm-up is good enough so that you can hit those positions. You know, if we look at, you know, um, how a lot of typical sports are, you know, we'll ask, people, the professional teams will ask me, hey, we want you to evaluate our warm-up, right? So we can take some NFL examples, for example. And, um, you know, I'm like, well, I, you know, I've seen enough of these. And I'm like, well, how long is it? And they're like eight minutes, you know? And I'm like, I don't know how you got a 100-kilo guy warmed up to tackle another human being in eight minutes, but I don't know if that's even possible, right? <laughs> and so, you know, what we really see is that a lot of times we're asking athletes, you know, our warm-up should just be – Warming up, shifting blood from stomach to tissues, getting things perfused, waking up the nervous system, right? Getting hot and sweaty, you know, starting to shift on those aerobic, you know, machineries. Instead, a lot of us are relying on these warm-ups to reclaim positions that I should have all the time. Mm. You know, and so one of the things that we're, we should be doing is, is spelling out for our athletes, you know, if someone came in and was out of shape, you would nail them, Right. 
if someone comes in without full dorsiflexion, we're like, eh, it's fine. You still, you can't flex your ankles and you, yeah. you, you're going to squat like, squat like crap. And every time you, you know, you get up off the ground, your knee comes in and we're like, that's pass, you know? And, and I think we, you know, if someone came in, you know, really, really weak, we would say the same conversation. Or if someone was just eating pizza and chips, we'd say the same thing. Yeah. But now we've done a better job of one, explaining to athletes what the, what the bookmarks of range of motion function are. Right? In the language that athletes speak, squat, deadlift, you know, hip hinge, right, press, bench, all those things. And now we can become a little more sophisticated about having the athlete understand what's full, what's complete, what's not complete. And then also how to take a crack at improving those range of motions in the context of training. So we never pull our athletes out of training, try to get everything perfect, put them back in. We're treating it, we're training while we treat. We're training while we kind of improve positions. Yeah. And this is an important concept because, it, you know, you should always be able to put your arms over your head without warming up. You know, like our joke is like, you know, leopards don't stretch. Leopards can attack and defend full physical capacity, right? You don't, you don't have to, you shouldn't have to activate your glutes and, you know, clean up your thoracic spine every single time you're going to put your arm over your head. And that's, that's basically how we're living. We're living in this little kind of compressed box and we should realize that we should have range of motion available to us all the time. The warm-up should just be the warm-up, which means that also you know, during the course of the season or injury, man, it's going to be a moving target, you know, brutal two weeks to practice. I'm going to look beat up and, and, and skinny, for lack of a better word, you know, yeah. at the end of those two weeks. And I need to have a plan as an athlete to understand what my own limitations are and understand when things are stiff or aren't sliding right or I don't have range of motion in my ankles, I should be able to fix that as a moving target and as part of the conversation. And what we see is that athletes don't know what good positions are. They don't know how to train and they can work really hard. You know, and then they also don't know how to take care of any of their tissues. And so, you know, we're like, well, how long has your knee been hurting? Well, we're like, you know, I don't know, three months. And you're like, good God, you know, and <laughs> did you notice that your quads were really stiff? And you don't know how to sequence your spine, and you know, and it's not. We've just been passing the buck on, and really, this is largely, I think, a, a product of the fact that by the time we get to college or pro levels, you know, that athletes to come, they come from somewhere, you know, and, and one of the great things about some of the more sophisticated academy-based programs, you know, like Adelaide does a great job of this, you know, is that uh, you know they work in other, they work in the region to develop athletes. So they get to have touches on those younger athletes. Mm -hmm. This is what we expect you should be able to do. This is, you know, and so by the time those athletes grow up to be pros, they have, they understand how to eat, how to sleep. You know, they've, they've seen what a professional environment we expect higher movement quality. They're jumping and landing and cutting is better. Right. We just have to start this earlier because what's yeah. happening is that all pro guys come from a system. And if you're lucky to have the support and the resources, then you end up, in, you know, a little bit more literate as a pro athlete or, as, or, or playing at a high level. But most of us just blunder our way along until we break. And then we're like, whoa, 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 I have a shoulder impingement. I tore this Achilles. I tweaked my knee, herniated the disc. You know, I mean, like, you know, some of it's contact sport and some of it is the fact that we've been moving poorly at speed for a long time. For a long time, yeah, for sure. Like I said in the intro there, you did a bit of work uh, in the UK. Uh, you've worked with individual players, um, a little bit with uh, Harlequins. Um, what, what was some of the stuff that you, you did there in, in a bit more detail on, on the field and in the classroom? Well, you know, one of the things that um, we try to help 
you know, all of these teams are very sophisticated, mm. you know, about they have wonderful, wonderful sports med program. The coaches, the strength coaches are good. You know, players are willing. What we have to do is continue to work to simplify the athletic experience for the athlete, right? So that the athlete is, is free to be a human being, you know, not just be in some kind of 24 hour, you know, bubble of, you know, performance, right? But that means also, you know, conjoining systems, streamlining. And for us, the best place to spot movement dysfunction and see issues is at the strength and conditioning level, the people who are actually doing the coaching. And a lot of times helping the coaches be able to integrate positional quality into the strength and conditioning, into the training, helping athletes have a buy-in time where they can smash or roll or do some down regulation, you know, open up their hips, that sort of thing but in the context of greater efficiency. So a lot of times we're able to come in and and help bridge the gap because most of the physios, even though they're really competent, injuries aren't educated in the language of strength and condition. So they don't, don't, you know, we're not doing sometimes a good job of reconciling sports medicine with performance training. And there are people who are doing a great job, but helping helping kind of, you know, because we're happen to be physios and coaches, it's useful for us because we can see on both sides of the fence, right? And so, you know, one of, the, one of the things we do with a lot of our pro teams and, you know, is that we try to get them to put a treatment table in the gym so that the treatment, you know, athletes aren't hiding their injuries, which is very, very common, you know, because if, if you go down the physio sports med route, sometimes it feels like as an athlete, you may never come out and we're talking about your professional contract and, you know, I mean, it's, it's really a slippery slope and the person who can see that and manage those things and be able to, you know, address them in real time as a strength and conditioning coach, right? But if the physio puts the table in the gym that, and, and, and creates space, has enough space where they're not just putting out fires all the time, mm-hmm. but then some, somehow when you're, you know, you're squatting and you see a guy who, you know, clearly has an impinged hip because he doesn't have full range of motion in his hips, that's something you can jump on right on the spot, right? And that we can then start to, start to evaluate you know, athletes in the, in the, in the situ, you know, in, in the situations where we're already seeing them move and we can figure out what's going on. And, and that's what we, instead of, you know, wait till you break and then, you know, try to put the flames out and then get you back on the field. And, you know, and, and part of this is retraining athletes to understand that it's not just, we can't just create a, an environment of what we call plausible deniability. Mm. Because traditionally what we've seen is that as long as athletes, feel like they outworked everyone, then they always have a thing to point back to if they get injured or, you know, if, you know, they overtrained or like, well, you know, look at how hard I was working. It's not my fault, you know, versus, hey, we need to improve the quality of that, you know, and, and, and guys like Pavel, you know, Satsalin have been saying this forever, you know, how strong do you need to be? I mean, you know, if you can double back squat your body weight, you know, double body weight your back squat, you're probably strong enough. You know, yeah. you really are. You know, but the efficiency there can always be improved. And how, how can we, you know, make sure that the, we respect that the most important thing we can do is, is play, right? That skill at speed playing is the most important thing. So it really comes down to a step backwards of saying, well, how do we create a ready state for those athletes to be able to play more and remain the freshest? And, you know, and there's been a lot of really good research that's come out looking at footballers and even rugby players about shifts in training loads. 
Mm-hmm. And that when you, you know, that when we know that when we keep training loads high, it's actually not, it's actually good inoculation for athletes to be able to handle spikes in training or spikes in competition. But when athletes are in low training loads and then, you know, have to spike for competition, then we know that that's, that's a recipe for sort of impending disaster. So once again, you know, how, you know, how do we keep athletes being able to perform at high levels of work and be as fresh as possible? Well, that's also a conversation about efficiency and a greater conversation about the environment in which that athlete exists. Yeah. And yeah, I like that about having the, the, the table in the weight room kind of removes the stigma too of, of going to see the physio and uh, you'd probably get immediate results as well if, if they do have an impinged hip. Fix it up, go and squat again and see the difference and you get That's that, right. that athlete we buy-in. Were, we, and what ultimately happens then is a lot of the mobilization tools that we prescribe are self-directed iterations of how the physio treats the athlete. Yeah. Does that make sense? Yeah, yeah. So if something's not working, the athlete can go do maybe 80 to 90% effectiveness, try to take a crack at improving their positional competency, and then put it right back into the treatment, right? Right back into the training. You know, hey, I'm, I'm warming up. You know, we're benching today. Hey, hey, you know, your shoulder's translating forward a lot as you bench. Oh, can you see that? Yes, great. Hey, my T-spine is stiff. So in between warm-up sets, guys are fixing it or, you know, you know, we only max out when we know it's, you know, feeling good. But if, hey, if we're not feeling good, you know, that's something that we can then correct and work on on the spot. And, for example, there's a, there's a really good case study for how this works. And that's over at the World Athletic Center in Phoenix under the tutelage of Dan Pfaff. And I know you guys have – you know some rugby guys who go there. And, um, you know, their, their physios and chiros – are right next to the track with a table. Sweet. So when an athlete is talking about something not working or they're feeling, they can have this conversation, develop a language, fix it, put the athlete back out. And maybe that doesn't work as well in team sports, but we still have the weight room as the place to be able to do those things. Yeah, yeah, right. And, and with your work in rugby, was there any specific kind of areas or is it more general? Uh, like I'm thinking like positionally, like a, a tight head prop, is, a, is there an area of mobility that they should be focusing on more than, say, a, a winger uh, who's probably a little lighter but runs three times as fast? Well, you know, what's nice is that you can, we can reduce, you know, you're going to see individual variations, of course, mm-hmm. but one of the nice pieces around you know, rugby is that the fundamental movements are relatively the same. Yeah. You know, yeah. it's an issue of like, hey, we're, this guy needs to be a lot stronger. This guy needs to be faster with a bigger set of lungs, but but the, the demands remain the same. What what we do see is that all the kids who play rugby, especially early on, they have really well defined training ages. Like they're you know they've been lifting weights for a long time. Yeah. Right. Are pretty robust players and robust kids. And and for example, when we compare that to some of our professional uh, footballers, like you know like soccer. Yeah. You know, those kids train, they've been playing, you know, their sport for you know decades, but their training age is very low. Mm. You know, and what we see is that, you know, you, you get a kid who's 16, 17, 18, 19, they have already been squatting and deadlifting and swinging and, you know, I mean, for a long time. But what that does potentially is set up a situation where we see very stiff athletes, yeah. you know, and one of, one of the hallmarks of, of rugby is your ability to to be able to dissociate your upper body from your lower body, right? That is like, that is rugby 101. I need to be able to run and turn and throw and catch and receive, right? Yeah. And, um, and what we're seeing is, 
you know, if your hips are stiff, that means you have to turn your whole body. Right? Right. Yeah, yeah. You can't just associate. If your T-spine is stiff, remember the bulk of your, of your rotations, your body comes from your thoracic spine. And of course your thoracic spine is stiff because you tackle people and squat heavy and get in the scrum. Then, you know, where are you turning when you run? You're turning your whole body. Now you're running sideways versus mm. turning your torso, being able to pivot at the, at the hip. And so, you know, we're always part of our language of performance. Is we're always looking at rotational capacity of the joint. You know, people are sometimes are, we'll just put in quotation marks, competent in planar motions. But when we look at like the interrotation of the hip and flexion, they have none, right? I mean, zero mm. negative range of motion there. And then we're surprised that they have to squat with their feet turned out or they have to tackle <laughs> with their feet turned out, yeah. you know, and, and that's the kind of thing I'm like, well, let's take that off the table. And then, and then these other things will just improve themselves. And the reason is that, you know, technique around specific positionings or specific skills is rarely very divergent from good physiology, which means that when we teach people to sequence, you know, if you, if you know how to deadlift, that's the sequence for getting in the scrub, yeah. right? We prioritize the spine, you know, how many times do you see a guy on a barbell, you know, you know, round their back and then, perfectly flatten out into a position where they pull it's it's difficult why because there are to be so many strains on that system mm. right so what i what i should be able to do is prioritize my spine hip hinge get into my best position to generate force but if you don't have the hip range of motion you can't bring your knee to your chest and missing hip flexion then anytime you get past 90 degrees you're going to see that you start to compromise the transmission of the energy from that hip through the spine through around his spine. You cannot have a slinky for a spine. And so, and, and, and yet that's what we, well, that's what we regularly see. We look yeah. at the low backs of guys in the scrum and, and I guarantee you, you're going to see that, that pattern reproduced in the gym when they squat or in the gym when they pull off the ground. And so the goal here again is to be able to improve those things so that we can, you know, take the handbrakes off and ultimately let the best coaches win. Yeah. Let the best athletes play, yeah. not who can manage their range of motion the best. So for coaches out there who, you know, they, they may have gone on your website and checked out some of the videos and, uh, you know, there's a lot on there and there's some great stuff. And, um, but they want to they try and incorporate it into their program, maybe pre-season's beginning in Northern Hemisphere right now. Um, what, what would be some advice you'd give them on things like equipment, where to start and things to keep keep an eye on in terms of safety and those kind of things? Well, you know, it's, it's easy to begin anywhere. You know, like, you know, one of the things that we try to get our, our performance staff to do is that when we're working with athletes during our warm-ups, that we're spending a lot of time in end range of motion. You know, it's not an accident that you see a lot of lunging as part of a warm-up plan, right, typically. Mm. And the reason is that lunging is an exaggerated version of the end range of motion required for sprinting. Mm -hmm. And so if you don't spend time in these end ranges, then when you come up to speed where these end ranges are required, you're going to see hot compensation mess. You know, we're going to see, you know, people do not run linearly. Their feet are turned out like ducks. They're striking the ground wrong. You know, I mean, there's, you know, so we start with the assumption that, hey, look, if we could just make sure that everyone had good range of motion, you know, like watch someone, you know, on the sideline, you know, or, or throw, throw the ball in, you know, off the side, 
Watch what happens in their ability to put their arms over their head and develop a good pass in from the sideline. You're going to see elbows flare, right? And, and partly because that athlete is missing the ability to put their arms over their head, they're throwing in, you know, the rugby ball the only way they can, which is in a terribly weakened position, mm. right? And so there, there's efficiency to be gained from improving overhead shapes. But if we don't ever spend any time there because we're benching and tackling all the time, and then we expect our athletes to be confident when they tackle overhead, I mean, no wonder that the foosh, the fall on an outstretched arm out over your head is – is a dislocating injury for a lot of athletes because they don't have any range of motion trying to get their arm over their head. So suddenly when they go land with an outstretched arm or try to tackle like that, there's a lot of energy that gets backed up into a car accident in the shoulder. Does that make yeah, sense? Yeah, absolutely. Right? So one of the things that we're trying to say is, hey, look, during our warm-up, you know, these are positions. Let's make sure that we're touching full range of motion in our athletes. And that's a great place to start. And that's and there's plenty of information about that. Let's make sure that our athletes are at least working in those shapes and then you know you can start a conversation anywhere about you know basic soft tissue health about addressing your pain you know and and in you know we you don't need a lot of equipment you don't need a lot of you know very sophistication and our model is if you can get our athletes to do 10 or 15 minutes it doesn't even have to be congruent 10 or 15 minutes but we're working on positional quality for 10 or 15 minutes a day that's enough right because what we'd rather you do is Spend a lot of time getting hot and sweaty. Develop your skills. You know, let's not spend a whole bunch of time rolling around on farm rollers. That's yeah. not the best use of um, Yeah, and I think that's maybe where, where there might be some confusion with some coaches as well. And, you know, we've got to, got to have them, you know, playing and practicing the sport they're actually participating in and, you know, checking off some of the other boxes as well where we can. Well, and the problem is, as a coach, you inherit that athlete from somewhere. Mm. You know, and, and what I can tell you is that our experience is that when we train the athletes and pass them off, you know, the coaches are very grateful because our athletes are ready to be coached. And as the performance staff, you know, one of the things we're trying to do is get, create, get rid of all the other silly BS so that the athlete is then ready to go hit the field and be coached. And, and because those coaches are experts in the position, they're experts in the game, right? So how do we get the athlete ready to do that? But also realizing that those athletes and those coaches all come from somewhere and they're coming from somewhere is an experience. What do they know? You know, and, and what we need our coaches ultimately to be able to do is in spite of the fact that they may be experts in just a position or a field or, or an idea is they need to understand what they're seeing. And the best way to do that is also to be in the gym and watch how their athletes are moving in very formal situations. Yeah, yeah. Because, you know, if you can't overhead, you know, if you can't front squat, I guarantee you're going to have a hard, harder time running and cutting. Yeah, yeah. Okay, cool. Okay, and you, you mentioned a little bit earlier on about some resources. Um, obviously, your web, website, mobilitywad.com and uh, Becoming a Supple Leopard. What are, what are, where, where would you direct coaches other than those two? Well, you know, I would say, you know, one of the mistakes I think is a lot of times, you know, the performance staff, like the rehab staff, aren't actual lifters, mm. right? They don't actually train hard, right? Mm. They may have a different sport, and they're not necessarily in the gym training alongside the athletes. And if we had our coaching staff seeing that spending more time with their athletes in the gym, you know, then they would understand a little bit more of why their athletes are having a hard time getting into a certain position or, or, or receiving a certain coaching cue. Because a lot of coaching turns out to be 
you know, coaching around a problem. You know, so the coach doesn't know how to solve the problem, but the coach has 27 drills to ultimately go around the problem instead of just fixing the problem, right? And, and I think one of the things that, you know, is a huge formality around this is that most coaches do not have, you know, a formal movement practice of their own. You know, they exercise a little bit or they, they're, they're former athletes. And being able to coach powerlifting and Olympic lifting you know, those things really are helpful to be able to understand and make sense of bodies at speed and at play. And that's, that's where the, the big disconnect is. So that we see this as a continuum of formalness versus high speed virtuosity. Because that's really, you know, you know, playing is being able to, you know, chunk large amounts of dynamic information and respond quickly. And there's only one way to get really good at that, and that's to play at speed. Right. Yeah. So that means that it's, and it's also as a, as a coach, I'm doing that stuff. I'm looking at the macro and if my athletes are, you know, worried about their feet position instead of tackling or trying to get into a better shape, like we've also failed. So at some point we need to put movement skill into the, into the program. And that's part of the warm up. You know, that can be part of the cool down, that can be play, but also that belongs in, in the strength conditioning environment. You know, if, like you see athletes and their feet aren't straight when they strike the ground and they're running with their feet turned out, you're waiting for, you know, accident up the kinetic chain. Absolutely. All right, cool. Um, I'm, a, I'm a teacher and I, I can't let you go without uh, talking about your awesome program that you and your wife started up, uh, standupkids.org. It's got nothing to do with rugby, but it's probably linked to a lot of the problems we see uh, with, with athletes and, and their range of motion. Do you, do you want to give us a little spiel about standupkids.org and what it is? Yeah, well, I appreciate that. You know, um, it, you know, we came to care about sitting and ergonomics and posture because we were recognizing that a lot of the athletes we were working with, you know, had a, a, a common sequela of problems. Short hip, you know, they're sitting overextended, you know, you know, calves, you know, we just saw a whole bunch of, you know, stiff upper thoracic spine. And if we're going to do the due diligence of saying, hey, look, we have to create an ecosystem, an environment where the athlete or the person can just be a person, then how is that typical athlete spending, you know, the bulk of their day? And honestly, these kids are spending 10 to 12 to 14 hours a day sitting in a compromised position. It's crazy. And we started working with the military, trying to help them solve back pain in some elite military units. We started working with colleges around some of this stuff. And the data freaked us out. You know? and, and we um, ultimately, fast forward, when we were working at field day with our kids at their little school, you know, it's the game, you know, everyone has a field day at their school in elementary, right? And you play sports and games. Well, we were running, we were running the sack race. And what we noticed is that, A, kids did not have the range of motion to pick their hip up high enough to get in the sack. So here we are, and kids are just, they don't even have 90 degrees of hip flexion. Like, I don't care who you are, you you know, what the hell? And uh, (laughs) and then we also noticed that our kids, a lot of the kids lacked the ability to extend the hip violently to hop in the sack. Wow. Right? They could, they were basically folded over at the waist trying to hop. And we were like, here's the expression. And we went and saw and talked to our principal and uh, said, hey, look, we've been doing this with the military, universities, and corporations. Would you be amenable to us you know, putting in um, you know, a classroom or so as a test? We think this is really something. 
and the preliminary research is really powerful. And she was like, yep, no problem. You know, and, and so we adopted a couple classrooms, four classrooms, and that turned into last year, the entire school. And our daughters are the first all moving school in the world. And I, I want to qualify that because it's not that we want kids to be cashiers. We, we're trying to set up environments that fit the physiology and we're supposed to be in constant motion. So the environment allows for more fidgeting, allows for more range of motion. Kids can sit on the ground. There's a, there's a fidget bar at the bottom of the desk that allows them to you know, pivot. Each desk is individualized to the height of the child. You know, it's quickly and easily adjustable. And so what we see is we have an environment that fit, matches the physiology. You know, and, and we, saw, we saw, you know, common patterns. And, and, and this, is, this is, you know, backed up by the experience of running coaches and what the, what the development says. But kids, go watch a whole bunch of kindergartners run, and they all run like sprinters. Mm. They all run like sample, all of them, mm. right? And then halfway through the first grade, half of those kids start heel striking. And you can't sprint heel striking. You like it's a completely dysfunctional pattern, and one that kindergartners and begin the first grade they don't express. And so what we were seeing is fundamental changes in motor program, motor patterning, learning happening as a function of this insidious environmental load. And so we took on the school, taking on the rest of the school district. Uh, we partnered with this incredible company called Donors Choose. Um, you know, and to date we have about 35,000 kids in the U.S. standing at standing moving stations. Wow, and awesome. uh, the research is coming out that this uh, – they followed about 400 to 500 kids in Texas for a couple of years. And they were able to show that standing interventions had a decrease in percentage of BMI by five, over 5%. Wow, and so it right. looks – turns out that kids basically this is one of the solutions that can help us with this childhood obesity piece. But more importantly, you know, watch your kids sit on the sideline and tell me that that winning collapse, crappy posture, forward head on neck, you know, rounded T-spot, tell me that's the position you want your athlete to play in. Yeah, no, it's brutal, eh? Oh, that's great. And I, I um, you know, I get my guys up and up and moving around as often as I can. And yeah, uh, exactly. I, want, I want to get the equipment, uh, the, the stand-up desk and everything like that and the uh, I let them sit down on the floor cross-legged uh, when they want. Yeah. And, uh, we have it's, the, the kids love it. They're, they're right into it. All right. They, 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 they intuitively get it. I mean, that's what I can tell you. Yeah. Is that, you know, and especially when we give kids options or give students options to, you know, because sitting down, we shouldn't fear it. You just can't do it 24-7. And here's the problem. You know, where we look at the school day and we look at the work day, but that's not how what the rest of us are doing. We're also on our smartphones, bent in half, mm. you know, for two and a half hours a day. We're on the computer. We're watching the Netflix. And all of that aggregates into an, a human being that basically isn't moving enough <laughs> and a human being that's spending most of their time in non-athletic shape. Yeah. I mean, how many times do you have to say tackle with your chest up? Imagine if you didn't practice tackling with your head down by being on the computer all day long, it would, yeah. be a, it would be a radical transformation. Yeah, for sure. Okay, well, um, we always end the show with the same uh, four closing questions. I'm going to modify it uh, for you um, because of your, your upbringing as a kid. You wouldn't have watched a lot of rugby as a kid. But when you were, when you were growing up as a kid, who was one of your favorite athletes running around? You know, I, um, I was a, a high-level ski racer as a kid. I yeah. tried to be. I grew up in Europe. And... Yeah. Uh, Watching all Herman Zubergen and Tomba, I mean, those guys, those are my heroes yeah. early on. But, uh, Herman you know, Meyer was amazing. Oh, man. He, yeah, exactly right. And, uh, you know, I, I'd say, you know, watching 
one of the things that was really great for me, uh, you know, I came from um, this really formal ski racing background and kayaking background. Yeah. And it taught me to feel what was happening in my body, to anticipate what was going on in this dynamic environment in front of me and make decisions. And that translates brilliantly to field sports mm. because you have input, you're reacting to things that are happening and you're planning ahead. And this is why I think if we want kids to play really good field sports, it helps when they have a sliding sport. Yeah, yeah. When they have a sport like, you know, they can skateboard, they can ski, they can rugby, they can ice skate, something like that re you know, really does help help them uh, get better at field sports. Yeah, for sure. Uh, okay, and, and what about now? Who's, who's your favorite athlete going around or rugby player, if you have, uh, if you have any names? Well, you know, um, what I really love um, is, you know, the homage to the fact that rugby has become in the United States so much more of an egalitarian sport, you know, that, you know, we're seeing, because I think you can play rugby for a long, long time and uh, don't, doesn't take a lot of equipment and really, yeah. really um, puts a premium on being well-conditioned yeah. in a way that some of our other power sports do not, you know, and um, I think we're going to see more and more good athletes, you know, spin off from football and play more rugby as there's more money and people can make, you know, professional living at it. Yeah, for sure. No, and I think uh, if anyone watched um, the, the USA women's side in the, uh, in the Olympics, they were, they were unbelievable the way they, they had a rough first day, but the second day, the, the rugby they were playing was epic. It's pretty fun. It's, it's fun. It's fun to see. Uh, I just think it's great. And, you know, and, you know we, we know women who are playing in the, you know, these tackle football leagues. And um, I feel like uh, this, you know, we think that's great also. But uh, teaching people how to contact and tackle and, and interact this way is just, it's brilliant. It's brilliant for girls. It's brilliant for everyone. Yeah, for sure. Um, both my girls are six and three and they're in mini rugby. So, uh, they uh, they I love it. I love it. And this is, I just want to give a shout out to, uh, Rugby USA, like this, you know, I just think it's a wonderful, wonderful program, you know, just, just props to those guys. Yeah, they've been at it for a while now and um, they're, they're getting some great results, so yeah. Okay, so um, and last two questions, who's, who's one of your favourite high-profile coaches that you like what they do? Um, you know, I am lucky that I work with a lot of really clever, smart coaches on the planet. Mm -hmm. um, I will tell you that... Uh, what I think is one of the most difficult jobs right now is uh, being at the university and managing, you know, athletes with two full-time professions, you know, sports and, uh, you know, and academics. Yeah. And you get kids from high school who maybe aren't very sophisticated and you have to also get them ready to play. I'm always going to give a shout out to uh, Stanford and Shannon Turley and what he's doing down there and his staff, you know, and, um, you know, if I, if I could give some major love, I'm going to give love to, um, you know, all of the college strength conditioning coaches who are working their asses off yeah. to get kids literate enough and supportive enough. I mean, I just think that that is uh, that's a really tough job and, and where we need to be putting a ton of money and energy in because, you know, a lot of times this is the end of the road for those kids and they come out and, they, you know, in bad programs they're injured and uh, in good programs they come out and, and are better for it. Yeah, absolutely. They got the rest of their life to, to get on with it. Okay, and someone, someone who's uh, maybe, and lastly, someone lesser known, someone chipping away at the grassroots who you think's doing a great job. Um, you know, it, I, I can't can't throw any one of my friends under the bus just because <laughs> of uh, you know what's going on. But um, I will tell you that um, two of my friends, um, Brian McKenzie and Laird Hamilton, 
surfer yeah, great. have started a program along with Gabby Reese have started a program called XPT, XPT Life. Yeah. And what they're realizing is that, hey, there's a lot of, of um, money to be made as in, as in like capacity gained by teaching athletes how to downregulate, how to turn that system off. Yeah. You know, I, I was seeing just as a side, I saw um, an interview with an All Blacks player saying he was having a hard time sometimes after matches, you know, stay up till four in the morning playing Xbox. And that's a, that's a sign that we have not taught an athlete how to how to turn off and recover. Yeah, you know, because they're so amped. We're so good at getting up, and we're crap at getting down. Mm. And ultimately, uh, the nervous system, you know, is the limiter. And I'll tell you, guys like Mark Uyama, who's a strength conditioning for the 49ers, um, he's head head coach there. You know, is really so clever about managing the realities of professional sports keeping an eye on movement quality, getting guys prepared and helping them understand how to turn off. But, uh, you know, Laird Hamilton, Brian McKenzie, go to XPT Life. Um, just the, the breathing work, the static hold work, the water work, all of it can yeah, really help athletes yeah, become much better. That's huge, yeah. And, and, that's, and that's really, a, should be one of the things that as, as performance coaches, as coaches in a field, we should be looking around saying, what are other people doing in other fields? around human performance that we can steal back in because, you know, you know, this, it's, it's so complicated once you're in the day-to-day trenches to have enough time to, you know, mm. to try to be innovative, you know, and uh, I think what's really great is that, you know, people have already solved a lot of problems, you know, for you if you're looking at other, other systems. Yeah, I'm a big fan of Led Hamilton and his big wave stuff he does. He's a, he's a freak. He is. So, you know, take a look at <laughs> Check uh, it out. what he and Brian are doing with the XPT Life because, you know, that's an easy thing to, you know, drop yeah. in some breathing. And all of a sudden, we've improved ventilation performance. We've improved, you know, your ability to create high intradominal pressure when you, when you, you know, you tackle. I mean, just a whole bunch of things happen around that. Oh, that's awesome. I'll put it in the show notes for sure. All right. Well, it's been uh, great chatting to you. It's uh, been really informative, and I'm sure coaches are going to get a bunch out of it. So, uh yeah, just want to thank you again for giving up your time and uh, having a chat with us. My pleasure. Thanks very much, man. Yeah, no worries. Cheers, guys. Thanks for listening to the Rugby Coaches Corner Podcast. If you enjoyed the show, please leave a review via iTunes and keep listening for the next episode. You can also follow us on Twitter at RugbyCoachSCNR or via the website at therugbycoachescorner.com. Until next time, keep sharing ideas to make the game better.